0: Welcome to Found in Space, a science podcast for kids and teens. Welcome back. Today's question comes from Sophia. And Sophia asks, what's the difference between a pulsar and... neutron star? So great question, Sophia. And this gives us the opportunity to talk about a lot of things star-related and getting into some chemistry as well on this one. So first of all, let's talk about the life cycle of a star. I know you asked about neutron stars, which are dead stars, right, and pulsars which are these really interesting objects that appear to be pulsing, flashing light. Now we're going to get into what's the difference and how they're actually part of the same thing. But first the life cycle of a star because as we said neutron stars are a type of dead star or some some people like to call them zombie stars because they're no longer fusing which is necessary to be a star. You need to be fusing elements, so smashing them together to make heavier and heavier elements. But neutron stars still are shining. So when we talk about a life cycle, stars aren't alive. But it's a useful analogy, right? It's a useful metaphor to think about the way that stars develop and change over time and how new stars form to be similar to the life cycle of, say, a chicken, which comes from an egg, hatches into a chick, grows up into an adult, and then the adult lays eggs and on and on the cycle goes, right? With a star, we think that stars form from nebulae. So that's the plural of nebula. A nebula is just a big cloud of gas and dust in space. It comes from the Latin word for cloud, nebula. And we think that over time, gravity starts to pull together that material. And the more material that you have in one area, the stronger and stronger that gravity becomes. The denser it is, the stronger the gravity is. So density is how much stuff you have in a given area. So imagine the difference between a bowling ball and a basketball. They're about the same size, right? But the bowling ball is made of a lot more stuff than the basketball is. So the bowling ball, that would curve space time. It would have stronger gravity than the basketball would. And then take that bowling ball, and if you started squishing it down smaller and smaller and smaller, it would become denser and denser and denser. And that's what starts to happen with a nebula when it becomes a star or starts to turn into many stars. So the nebula starts to collapse in and gets clumpy. And each one of those clumps turns into a new star because gravity pulls it in, pulls it in. And eventually it gets so dense that the pressure at the core of this ball being created from gravity gets so strong and it gets so hot that it's hot enough that atoms of hydrogen that's the lightest element that there is, gets smashed together. And when they're smashed together, they end up through several steps forming helium, which is a little bit of a heavier element. Now, helium is still very light. That's what we put inside birthday balloons to make them float, but it's still heavier than hydrogen. Now, what also happens in this process when the atoms are being smashed into each other is that it releases a little bit of extra energy and that extra energy pushes up so it creates this fusion pressure that pushes back against the gravity that's still trying to collapse and smash in this baby star and it holds it up from collapsing in on itself and that's when we say the star is born. Now depending on the mass, so how much stuff the star is made from, there could be low mass like the sun or really high mass stars with 10, 20 times the mass of the sun. That's going to determine how long the star lives for. And when we say live, we mean how long is it smashing atoms together at its core? So high mass stars, we say anything that's about eight times as massive as our sun. Our sun is a dwarf star. So it's a a low mass star. There's a lot of these other ones that are way more massive. They're going to live shorter lives because they get even hotter at their core because there's so much heat and pressure smashing in that it gets so hot that fusion happens really, really fast and it fuses through all its material. And at the core, eventually the star will burn through. It'll fuse through all of the hydrogen that it could turn into helium. And then it takes that helium and it starts fusing that. And then eventually it'll run out of helium. It'll turn all that helium into carbon. And then it'll keep going and going and going until the star starts fusing iron. Now, here's the problem. When it starts fusing iron, iron fusion doesn't release extra energy into its environment the way fusion of the lighter elements does. Instead, iron uses a little bit of energy from its environment so now there's nothing holding back the star from collapsing under its own weight so essentially gravity wins and it comes crashing down the star from every single direction just comes crashing down on itself and in a matter of just hours it completely implodes on itself and it smashes in from every direction and then explodes outwards. Imagine it kind of like jumping on a trampoline. Once you jump down and then boing, it's gonna bounce you back up, right? So that's what happens. And that's what a supernova, type two supernova is, is this exploding star sending the material of the star out into space. And here's where the life cycle comes in. That material eventually can become the starting nebula for new stars to form. So it goes on and on. But with high mass stars that go supernova, there's usually something left behind. A small bit of that star is left behind at the core. And most high mass stars, what's going to be left behind is a neutron star. So if the star was originally between about 8 to 20 times as massive as the sun, it'll turn into a neutron star. If it was more than about 20 times as massive, that's how stellar black holes are made. So we'll come back to black holes in the future. For now, let's focus on neutron stars. So they're really, really interesting because in that collapse of the star, there was so much pressure that the atoms making up the star were broken. Yeah, so let's let's talk about atoms for a moment. Now, we're not gonna go too, too deep into it, but atoms are the building blocks for the material around us. We're made of atoms. Or you could think about something like water. Have you ever heard water called H2O? Well, H2 means it's made from two hydrogen atoms and O, one oxygen atom. Now, if you took one of those atoms and you were able to look inside. Now they're really, really, really tiny. So you can't actually look inside them. But if you were able to look inside them, we would see that they're actually made up of even smaller parts. So the center of it is called the nucleus. So the seed of it. And in the nucleus, there are two different kinds of particles. And those are made from even smaller things called quarks. So it's inside are protons. Those have a positive charge and neutrons they have a neutral or no charge so neutron 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 star right often around them there will be electrons so electrons have a negative charge and usually there's going to be a balance in what we interact with, where it'll there'll be an equal number of protons to neutrons to electrons. And so let's say you had boron, for instance. The element boron has five protons in it. Well, if it had five electrons, then plus five, negative five equals zero. And the neutrons, they're zero. So we can add as many or as few in, and that's not going to change the charge of the atom. So Here's the thing, though. Protons and neutrons, we think, are made from even smaller particles called quarks, which is really fun. That's when we start getting into our subatomic particles, our fundamental particles. There's a special force in nature, which is called the weak force. Now, it's called weak because it isn't as strong as another force called the strong force, which is you would guess, a really strong force. But the weak force is very, very strong. It's way stronger than say gravity, for instance. And its job is to actually change particles from one type of particle into another. So when the star collapses in on itself, the electrons smash into the protons in the atom. And the weak force changes that proton and electron Into a neutron. So the atoms, the elements get destroyed, and what we get left over with is this big ball of almost pure neutrons. Now, there are a few extra protons and electrons that are kind of floating around in there, but mostly we just get this big ball of neutrons. And when I say big, let's talk about some measurements here. Stars are huge, right? So when the star is gonna collapse in on itself, it may be as big as say the orbit of Jupiter, but the core that gets left behind is really, really dense and it's very small. It's only a few tens of kilometers, so maybe 10, 20 kilometers across. That's really small. That's about the size of a city. So the mass of a star squeezed into something the size of a city. Yeah, it is really, really dense. So to try and give you another image of how dense it would be, if you were to take the entire mountain of Mount Everest, right? Imagine how big that is. If you were to make it as dense as a neutron star is, it would be about the size of a marble. Yeah, these are really, really, really dense objects. And so there's a lot of leftover heat. So they're still shining and giving off all of this light from when they were stars. But now they're these really, really dense objects. So that is what a neutron star is. But what about a pulsar? So these two things are connected. Actually, Pulsars are a kind of neutron star. Pulsar is a mix of the words pulse and star. Because when we first discovered them, we found these objects that were stars, but they seemed to be changing in brightness. They seemed to pulse. It would get bright and then dim, bright, dim, bright, dim, bright, dim. Well, what we think is happening here, there's two things to understand. One is that some neutron stars can send off jets of material from their poles, from their magnetic poles, so their north and their south pole. And this is something that astrophysicists are still trying to understand exactly how these jets form, but it has to do with the magnetic field and the rotation of the magnetic field and the rotation of the neutron star producing it. But these giant jets of material get shot out into space in these bright lights, now, if that beam faces towards Earth for a moment, it's gonna look a little bit brighter to us, right? This is something that we have to see with telescopes. There aren't neutron stars that you're going to be able to pick up with your own eyes, unfortunately. That'd be really cool, but there aren't any that we that we know of that we can actually see with our human eye. The other thing that we need to understand is that stars, just like Earth, are actually spinning. They're rotating around their own axis, and they have a little bit of a wobble. So imagine spinning a top or a dreidel and how it wobbles back and forth. And so that beam, as the neutron star is spinning around and wobbling, sometimes it wobbles to where it points towards Earth, and then it points away. And then it points towards Earth, and then points away. Towards Earth, away. Towards, away. Towards, away. And that creates the look of it pulsing with light. Now this is really, 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 really fast. So again, we need computers to really help us to actually even see that. So we need telescopes to see the pulsars and then computers to actually pick up on the pulsing itself. So that's what a pulsar is, is this super active neutron star. We don't think that all neutron stars are pulsars. And we think that there probably are more pulsars than we know of Because the only way for us to see it is if the light points towards us. But if the beam doesn't happen to point towards Earth, if it just points off in a different direction, we'd have no way of knowing, unless it's interacting with a cloud of material of a nebula, that it's actually a pulsar. So a lot to still learn about and study, but neutron stars or zombie stars. These are one of my favorite topics. So Sophia, thank you for bringing this up and giving us the opportunity to talk about such a cool topic. And any of you listening, if you have a question that you would like us to talk about on the podcast, go ahead and have your folks take a look at the link in the show notes, and they can send your question. And we can talk about it here on the podcast. So thank you so much. As always, remember to stay curious and dark skies. Bye, everybody.